Amen, God. The earth is yours, and we do worship you as creator of all of it. Amen and amen. Amen. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Amen. So good to be here with you guys. This is my wife, Hannah. Uh, she didn't get introduced earlier. I, I love, let me, just, let me just pause for just a second, because I just want to tell you how much I love your church. My wife and I moved here with several people uh, about three years ago, and man, we didn't know anybody. And Ryan, your pastor Ryan, was the, the first pastor I met when I moved here. We met right down at, at Solid Grounds Coffee, and immediately, man, he's just a guy that loves Jesus, that loves not just your church, but he loves the church and what God is doing in the city. And so he opened up his doors and said, hey, um, use whatever you want, come in our building, and, and with people like me, you can't just say that. If you say it, then you mean it, because I will come in and I will open your fridge because you said we could do that. <laughs> so I love your pastor. I love your church. It's what you guys are about and what you're doing. So many people here are so just dear to my heart personally. Uh, I love Eric back there running sound and, and Carolyn, who, I mean, who, who in... Uh, Who in Denver doesn't know Carolyn is what I want to know. She's the unofficial spiritual mayor of this town. I love your worship leader, Aaron. I'm so jealous of his beard. If I grew one like that, it would be extra long in security at the airport. So I just, you guys don't know about that. You guys don't know the struggle, but it's real. Uh, your, uh, your kids director, Amy, and I were on staff together back in Indiana and love what she does. And I, and I always tell people, I should have paid more attention when Amy talked during children's ministry stuff because I never really pay, paid attention to any of it. And now that I'm leading a church, I'm like, man, I really should know more what happens back there. I should have paid more attention to Amy. Darwin I've known for several years. They have a really cute baby. One of the, one of the babies that's actually cute, not where you're like, oh, that's a baby, but actually a cute baby. <laughs> Gorgeous. One time I was leading worship and Darwin, it was, he was like new to the church. And he was like singing in the front row and just going after the heart of Jesus. I love that about him. And I went backstage and I told my wife, I was like, man, there's this new guy. I think he's speaking in tongues. And, and my wife was like, no, that was Spanish. I'm like, oh, man, I thought we were on fire this morning. But man, I'm so glad to be here and worship with you guys. If you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Psalm 121? Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is, is arguably my favorite of all the Psalms. And not because I would have chosen that necessarily, but my mom, as we were kids, would recite this psalm to us over and over again every night, and it just stuck into my mind. Parents, one of the best things you can do for your children, even before they can speak or understand, is just to speak God's word over them, just to pray the scriptures over them and let the Holy Spirit who inspired this book we call the Bible to just be poured over their lives. I love the, the psalm because it... It's a song that we sing. The Psalms were written as poems, but, but not just to be recited. I don't, I don't know very many people today just going around reciting poems, but we do sing songs all the time. And these Psalms were written, especially the Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 120 to 134, they're written as songs to be sung as the Israelites would go up to Jerusalem on this journey. They would go a few times a year and they would sing these songs. And it was a soundtrack of their journey, but I think more than that, it was a soundtrack of their faith. And so they would sing it all the time. And I think, if we're honest, we have some songs that if you've grown up in a particular season of life or a generation, you have songs or types of songs or musicians or the type of sound that has sort of shaped your generation. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
So I grew up in sort of mid-90s, early 2000s, and so I loved hip-hop growing up. So I'm, I'm like a, a Tupac fan and a Biggie fan. I don't, some of you are like, who is that? I've never heard of that before. It's, a, it's, it's out there, okay? And so I, I love that. And, and, you know, one time, if you know, I don't listen to these guys anymore, okay? Now I only listen to Jesus songs. But back then, I, I did. And I remember one time, like, like Tupac had this little ear, like, eye ring or eyebrow ring, and I thought I was so cool, so I came home with one. It was a fake one, so I came home with one, and my mom was like, what is that? It's like, mom, it's my, it's my, 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 like, my Tupac ring. She's like, one pack, two pack, take it off. I don't care. <laughs> so I, lo- I loved hip-hop. I love R&B and soul music. I love R&B music. But then oddly, I, I kind of, this was like undercover. I didn't tell any of my homies about this. I would go home late at night, and I would throw on like some, this like some 80s Ballads. I love 80s power ballads. I'd put on some Journey, and I'd put on some, some Richard Marks. I'd put on some Brian Adams. And, and when my friends came over, what do you listen to? Oh, that's my mom's stuff. Just don't pay attention to it. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say it anymore. I've seen every boy band that has ever existed. I've been to an NSYNC concert. I've been to Backstreet. I've been to O-Town. Listen, I'm not ashamed anymore. My past is behind me. I've been set free by the gospel. I'm not ashamed. But I can, you know, when you, you know when you hear a song and it kind of just takes you back to a season of life? Anyone know what I mean? Now, 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 Pastor Dan wasn't willing to wrap up, but my culture was shaped by a TV show with a very catchy song. If you know it, sing this one with me. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spend most of my days. Sinners, every one of you, every one of you. <laughs> I can't believe you were not watching Touched by an Angel instead on Wednesday nights. You were watching The Fresh Prince. These psalms were sung as soundtracks to their faith. And it would shape the way that they would see God. It would shape the way they would experience God in their life. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we want God to agree with our preconceived notion of what God should do for us. But the psalmist, no matter what they were going through, the Israelites, no matter what they were going through, would sing these songs in order for their faith and their lives to be shaped around the truth of who God is. And you have to remember, this was a culture of people that had no 401ks, no social security, no national defense budget that rivaled the 25 countries following it, no infrastructure the way we have it, no 911. And yet it was a people that trusted in an immovable God. Their faith was unshakable because their God was immovable. In fact, if you read the psalm as we read it, they use the name for God or Lord, they say Yahweh. So they're not talking about a distant, far God. They're talking about a close and personal God. Six times in this psalm, you will see the word keeper or keep, which means preserver. That they viewed God as the preserver of their life, that God would keep them and hold them and sustain them in this life. So let's get right to work. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 121. And it begins with this I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's an immediate response that the psalmist wants to call you to. He wants to call you first to recognize something, uh, to repent from something, and then to remember something. So he begins with this idea of, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? 
what the psalmist is immediately asking you to do, what the Spirit of God this morning is immediately, in this moment, asking you to do is to recognize that in your life there are some areas, if not all of your life, where you need help. And because we've grown up in a Western culture that says you're supposed to be strong and independent and powerful, I am the captain of my ship, I am the commander of my destiny, you cannot tell anyone when you need any help. And so the psalmist wants you to recognize not only do you need help in certain areas of your life, if not your whole life, but also recognize you're also actively looking for it. You're also actively living your life in the reality of help. See, in that day and age, as the Hebrews would climb up the hills towards Jerusalem, along the way on the hills, there would have been pagan altars, shrines, if you will. And they had shrines and altars and priests of different religions, of pagan gods, for different things. So along the journey, if you were struggling with infertility, you could go see the pagan god and that shrine for infertility. If you were struggling financially or your business was in ruin, you could go see one of those gods and deal with that. And so it's not just simply this ethereal look up to the mountains. He's not simply just using poetic language. He's actually saying, as we would journey, we would see that the world is offering help to our circumstances. And so the psalmist says, recognize that you're already doing this. Hey, singles, you're suffering and you're struggling with loneliness. We got an app for you. Just swipe right until you find the right person. And in fact, if you can't find the right person, that's fine. Just lower your standards a little bit. Just lower your standards just enough where where that girl or that man fits in. Don't find someone who honors the Lord first and foremost in their life. Don't find someone who honors you or honors even themselves. Just lower the bar enough. That's our advice to you. What do you need help with? You, is, do you feel like your life is spinning out of control and you can't sort of handle the things around you? Great, there's this little thing called pornography. It's available to you. Just tap into it. And it'll make you feel like for a moment you have some control over your life. Hey, whatever your problem is, us as the world, we got your answer. We're here to help you. We got blogs, we got articles, we got conferences, we got more of everything you need to help you out. And my question to you is, well, how's it going for you? How's it going for you? Because anything in this world that's offered to you that rejects Christ will eventually become oppressive to your soul. And so the psalmist says there's plenty of areas in your life where you need help. And recognize that not only do you need help, but you're already actively looking for it. So first, recognize. Second, he's calling you to repentance. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. There was an old song we used to sing when I was a kid growing up in church. The lyrics went something like this. I have made you too small in my eyes. O Lord, forgive me. And I have been, and I have believed in a lie that you are unable to help me. But now, O oh Lord, I see my wrong. Heal my heart and show yourself strong. And in my eyes and in my song, be magnified. O oh Lord, be magnified.
There is this call of repentance to our lives, a daily call of repentance that says, God, for too long, for too long I have looked to the, to the world to help me. I've looked to others to help me instead of first coming to you. And God, I repent because you are the God of all things. And so call me back to you to repent and then immediately receive the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that is meant for me, that has come from you. And when we receive that repentance, when we receive that forgiveness, we then walk in the joy and the peace and the beauty of God. And then the psalmist wants you to remember to remember that the God who helps you is not a distant and far God that you have to appease with your life, that you have to do good things in order for that God to bless you, that you have to buy something from God or trade from God or inherit for God, but he is the God who is near to you and close to you. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that God is near to you and that this God is the one who made the heavens and the earth. I mean, think about that for just a moment. The God who is willing to help you, who offers his help to you, who offers his resources to you, is the God who spoke all things into motion. If you read Colossians 1, Jesus is the one who then holds all things together. The source and the sustainer of all of life is the same God who is willing to meet you where you need to be met in your condition, in your help, in your suffering, in your trial, even in your success. And he offers you his help. And the psalmist wants to remind you of this because as we go through the psalm, you're going to see that he points out three things on this journey three dangers on this journey, but those dangers of the journey simply reflect the the dangers of life. So we'll see here that the psalmist says, beginning in verse three, that some of the dangers are that on this journey that your foot can slip or you can be moved. He also says that there is uh, exposure to the elements around you. And then he says that we're surrounded by evil. Now again, these are just reflective words that he's using to talk about all of life in general using what you would find on an average hike. Now, I'm not from a hiking place. I grew up half my life in India, and then I grew up the next half of my life in Chicago. Not a whole lot of hikes happening in either of those places. So when we first moved to Colorado three years ago, I was like, you know, we got to just do what all the natives here do. They go hiking. How hard could that be? I could do that. Now, so, so a friend of mine was coming to visit. He was a kid that I've been mentoring for years. And I was like, well, I got to impress him with something. So I'm Googling like hikes to go on. I'm like, this one looks pretty easy. The Manitou Incline. <laughs> like, how hard could that be? I saw pictures of people going up. If they could do it, I mean, I look healthy. I think I could do it. So we go to the Manitou Incline. And uh, we're walking out. And listen, I don't know anything about hiking. My body is not acclimated to the, the temperature or the elevation of Denver. Heck, my body's not acclimated to anything. And so we go to this place. I'm walking out of the house. And we have one of those, like, little, you know, you, you give to your kindergartner when they go to, to go to class, like the little water bottles. Like, not even the, the man-sized ones, like the little kitty ones. And my wife is like, is that all you guys are taking? And I listen, woman. I didn't say that, but I thought it. I'm a grown man. I know how much water my body needs. I have to be very careful when I raise my voice to my wife because she'll threaten to call INS and have me on the first boat back to the motherland. So I'm very careful, very careful. 
So we go on this hike, and we park, and, and I look up at these stairs, and I'm thinking to myself, this is how I die. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to die going up this thing, but I can't quit because I got this kid with me. I got to show him, like, we're going to do this thing together. So we're going up this hill, and within 10 steps, I mean, my lungs feel like somebody is standing on them. My legs are shaking. So we, we make it up to, I think it's called the bailout point. And I'm like, well, we're out of water, and we're at the bailout point. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to tell him we got to quit. It's just unsafe for us to go more. We have no water. And so I'm thinking and contemplating this. Well, an older couple is coming down, and they're like, hey, you guys are out of water. We have extra. You want some? Eh, thank you very much. God bless you. You know, like. So we get this water, and I am struggling up. I'm like, I can't fall, because if you fall, you're going all the way down. <laughs> uh, so it, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of slipping. It's hot. We went in the middle of August. It's blazing hot. We went at like noon. I told you, I don't know anything about hiking, guys. Don't judge me. God is watching. Don't judge me, okay? <laughs> I don't know anything about this. And then I'm just surrounded by evil. And evil, in this, in this, sh- in this, in this day and age, came in the form of a 12-year-old girl. I'm hiking up there struggling. She's looking at me and laughing. And she's like, breathe in with your nose and out with your mouth. Shut up. (laughs) And then I kicked her and she rolled all the way down the hill. (laughs) So we finally make it up this thing. I mean, three days later, we got to the top of the hill. (laughs) And we're talking and I'm like, man, you know, I was telling this young man, I was like, this is kind of how life is. It's this journey that you struggle, and there's moments, and when you get to the top, there's this view, and it's incredible, but it's a struggle to get up there sometimes. But Jesus says that in this journey that we're in, he has these beautiful words in the gospel, and he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the psalmist immediately jumps into the realities of this journey and in this life, and he says in verse three, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, who preserves your life, will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, what the psalmist is not saying here is that you won't slip. But what he's saying is that along the journey, if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, though you might slip, you will not be deterred. Because what the enemy wants to do is to defeat you. But the enemy cannot defeat you if your eyes are focused on the destination. And listen to me, the destination is not a place, it is a person. It is the person of Jesus and the person that the Holy Spirit has been promised to be inside of you as a believer of Jesus, to cultivate inside of you the person of Jesus, that you might become more like Jesus for the glory of God the Father. So what the psalmist is not saying is that you won't fall or fail. He's saying that fall or failure or slip does not define you. My son was riding one of those bikes the other day. It's kind of a modern invention. It's a bike without wheels. I don't know what that is. It's a bike without wheels. And he's going down this hill. And he goes down about five times. And he's listening to me. He's paying attention. About the fifth time, he decides that he doesn't want to listen to me anymore. All right. Let's see how it goes for you. 
So he goes down about halfway, falls off the thing, tumbles over, and he's, I mean, did not make it. He's crying. He's, I think it was less of pain and more of just shock and shame and embarrassment. So he comes back up. We, we bring the bike up together, and this time he wants to go down the little hill. He said, we're not going to go down the little hill. We've already been, been down the big hill a couple times. See, because if I let him as a father go down the little hill, the easy hill, what I'm telling him is, hey, that fall you just had is going to define you for the next round. And so what I want him to understand is you're going to go back down the same way, but this time keep your eyes on me, listen to me, focus on my voice, and we'll make it down. So he does make it down. And what God as your father wants you to know is that your failure, your past, your sin in Jesus Christ cannot define you, will not define you. So though you might fall, you will not be moved if you are found in a God who is unshakable and immovable. And the enemy wants you to live in this constant state of fear and despair. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're you're saying to yourself, but I am slipping. I keep going back to the same thing that I try to come out of. I keep falling. My marriage keeps struggling. I struggle in parenting. I keep slipping. And God says to you, it's not that I have kept my eyes off of you. It's that you've kept your eyes off of me. The beauty of the gospel is that God never moves. God is never moving. We are the ones who move and take our eyes away from him. And so in your despair, in your discouragement, in whatever reality you are in, God is saying to you right now in this moment, I want to heal you. I want to set you free. I want to give you victory. I want you to live in the power that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. And while the enemy wants to keep you defeated and paralyzed, God wants to set you free. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you keep your eyes looking up, God the Father God the Father, who holds your life, who is, the, who is the, the guardian of your soul, the Holy Spirit, who is the guide for your life, and Jesus, who guarantees your destiny, they work together to preserve and sustain and watch over your life. Because this is a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. Well, the gods of this world have to go to sleep at night. Our God never goes to sleep. God is always working behind the scenes to bring out what is good in your life for his glory. He never sleeps. And the psalmist continues. Because it's easy to think that might happen for a moment, just for a day, for a season. But listen listen to what the psalmist says in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. God is your guardian and your shield. The fact that the psalmist says the sun by day or the moon by night is simply to tell you that God is the preserver of your life, not just for one day or the next day, but day after day after day after week after week after month after month after year after year after season after season. 
God is the keeper of your life every moment of every day. And if we're honest, we need this kind of a keeper because he says this in verse seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What a beautiful truth that is. Imagine the Hebrews singing this song, that as they would go to Jerusalem and back, they would say, as we go, God will keep us. As we leave, God will keep us. As we come back, God will keep us. As we leave again, God will keep us. The beauty of our faith, the beauty of the scriptures is that these are not our songs. See, so often in Western culture, we view faith as an individualistic journey. My personal faith, my salvation, my God, my church, my gifts, my talent, my faith. But God was creating for himself a people that would experience him from generation to generation to generation to generation. And these are the songs This verse that God will keep us from all evil, he will watch over us, he will watch our going out and coming in, have been sung by God's people for hundreds of years. So you and I, when we sing these words, are reminded that we are tethered to a faith that is not ours, but has been given to us by Jesus. And we stand on the shoulders of men and women who have experienced the faithfulness of God. So our experience of God isn't singular. It includes all of the community of God who have ever experienced God. So when we say God is faithful, that God is our keeper, we see that God has kept his promises from generation to generation. It's why the psalmist in 145 says, I will commend your works to one another. One generation will commend your works to one another. It will pass on of your faithfulness. See, so often the Christian life, if we're honest, it looks like and is and often portrayed in social media and our, our internet and in our books, like it, it's like it's a beautiful Thomas Kincaid painting. It's like a little stream going down a river. There's like a Bible verse, be still and know. It's like, man, the Christian life is so serene and peaceful. It's like the best life ever. There's like a deer, so cute, it's drinking the water by the stream. As the deer panted for the water, so my, oh, that just speaks to my soul. I mean, gosh, haven't you guys experienced just the ease of the Christian life? I mean, it's so easy. You wake up and your kids are so well behaved. I mean, they're like, they're like the best kids in the world. They're like, Father, I love you so much. Can I make you lunch today? Yes, son, it's so good to be a Christian, isn't it? Your marriage never struggles. You're always getting the raise at work. Promotions are right. I mean, it's just like your car never breaks down. Your house never has a leaky roof. You're not out there till 2 a.m. just putting tarp over your roof. I'm not even speaking from personal experience on that one. (laughs) And if we're honest, that's the way that we've shaped and portrayed and sold the Christian faith. It's always fun. It's always good. You're You're never sick. You're always healthy. And if something ever goes wrong, there must be something wrong in your faith. But the Christian life, heck, any life, but the Christian life is perilous. It is full of trials and suffering and sorrow. But yet in the midst of that, it's a beautiful adventure of joy and hope and peace 
and love and mercy and kindness and compassion and purpose. Because we as God's people, as much as we would like to think that we can move to the suburbs and live in a white picket fence and we can escape the evils around us, have to realize that evil surrounds us every day. And I don't know about you, but I truly believe the world is getting worse. Now, it may not seem like that, but I do believe that there's things now, there are things now that are morally accepted that years ago were rejected, but now it's painted under the surface of experience life, YOLO, you only live once. And we've taken what is a lie, we've taken what is false, and we've masqueraded it as truth and something good to be experienced. But if you're honest with yourself, the world seems to be getting worse. Why is it that you and I can go to a grocery store and pick from a thousand oranges? which everyone looks the best and feels the best, yet there are millions of people, millions of people who don't even have an orange in their whole life, who've never seen running water from somewhere, who live on the same clothes every single day, that we have, we're living in the middle of the worst refugee crisis in human history. How can we not recognize that the world is evil around us? But just like a boat that's surrounded in water is fine, until the water gets in, the same with evil. It's not saying in this psalm that God will keep you from evil being around you. What he's saying is that God, who is the keeper of your life, fights to keep the evil outside of you from getting inside of you. The enemy knows he can harm you with the evil outside of you, but he can defeat you only when the evil outside of you gets inside of you. And it kills you at the core. And what the Holy Spirit is doing, the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to us is doing, is living inside of you to actively fight against the evil outside of you, to keep that evil from coming inside of you. And this is the God who preserves your life. He says, I will watch over you, I will keep you from all harm. As long as you and I are willing to recognize, repent, and remember, and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on God. Because how does God do this? Is it magical? Is it ethereal? How does God do this? If you read in Colossians chapter 1, he says this. Paul writes this to the church. He writes this to us. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, another version would say set your eyes, on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says the reason that God can preserve your life and watch over your life is by nothing that you and I have done in and of ourselves. But that Jesus himself would become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. So the reason or the fact that we can recognize and repent and remember is because Jesus has purchased us with a price, the price of his own life. So we can recognize and not feel guilty, but we can be drawn into the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
We can repent and not feel condemned because we receive immediate forgiveness because of Jesus. And we can remember who this God is because Jesus has promised this Holy Spirit would come inside of us and seal us. And so my question for you today is to sit in this place and to begin to ask right now in this moment, I don't mean later, I don't mean tomorrow, I mean right now in this moment, God, are there things in my life where I need help? And for too long, I've been living behind the mask, living behind my own strength, my own wisdom, the wisdom of this world. For too long, I've been pretending like it doesn't exist. But God, I need help. I need your help. Help me to fix my eyes on you, the author and perfecter of my faith. Help me look up to you and to remember where my help comes from. So I want to close our eyes as we just end our time together this morning. I want us to just think through this. One of the great dangers and tragedies of our faith is that we only have a Sunday morning faith. We're on Sundays and in the service we believe in what God can do and we sing the songs and we say the prayers, but right back on Monday morning we begin to fall into our own strength. And my prayer is that right now we would learn to trust an immovable God. Because if we could narrow this entire psalm down to one word, it would be the word trust. God, I look to you because I can trust you. God, I can trust you with my business. I can trust you with my work. God, I can trust you with my home. God, I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my grandkids. God, I trust you with the gifts and the talents you've given me. I trust you even with my suffering. I trust you with my success. So Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, would you just bring to the surface the places in the lives of everyone here where they have refused to recognize where they need help. Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes and their minds to recognize that they have not set their minds on the things of Christ but the things of this earth and would you call them to live in repentance and to immediately receive the forgiveness that comes from you and the peace and the joy that comes with that and they could walk in the freedom of sons and daughters of the Most High God. live in this moment, stay in this space for just a moment, and then respond in singing these words.